What's up, everybody? I am back with another edition of the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast, where I'm joined by Alexander Lores. He tells us a little bit about himself, how he got started into investing, whether there was something in his past or upbringing that made him more inclined to become an investor, how he's reading Simple and Inevitable Wealth, and some of the tips and tricks he has for educating yourself in in uh, investing, uh, how he views this recession, what he views it was caused by, will there be a way out, is it going to be a bloody one, and how businesses are positioning themselves to deal with this inflation going forward. But as always, as always, this is not financial advice. Both Alex and myself are not financial advisors, so everything here heard in this podcast should be strictly taken as opinion and opinion only, as it is not financial advice. Now, let's get into the show. Whoosh. What's up, everybody? I am back with another edition of the Sunday Scaries Stock Talk podcast. But first, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Inverse. Inverse is a social and collaborative investment research platform. Many companies like Robinhood have increased the access to financial markets, allowing you to invest directly on your phone and other ways. But Inverse is now increasing the access to high-quality investment research and discussion. So you can join this platform completely free. I'm on it. I've been using it. You can come and join my Green Candle Investing Group. And we can all research some, uh, research some stocks and equities with some top-notch data and tools to research over 10,000 stocks and ETFs seamlessly and embedded all into the platform. And in the coming weeks, you'll be able to even link your brokerage account and share your portfolio to maximize that credibility when you're sharing and discussing your stock picking ideas. And so come and join me. It's completely free. And check out the show notes or the description below in order to see that link and join me on Inverse, I-N-V-R-S dot com. And now I've got a very, very special guest, a fellow Tampa Tampa resident, Alexander Lloyd. Alex, how are you doing today? Great. Great to be here. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's let's get it get it started. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get started investing? And uh, yeah, how did you kind of find it? Thanks, Brandon. Well, I've always been a kind of self taught econ nerd. Uh, and around 2016, uh, Robinhood, you know, was out, so I started uh, playing with that. And uh, you know, I was honestly got into it, got excited, gambled a bit, uh, and did a lot of short term trades and lot, lost some money. So. Um, Learned a few lessons, then uh, Bitcoin came along and uh, invested in that sector as well. But uh, continued to, uh, you know, learn from my mistakes, I would say, uh, and, and uh, you know, and invest in uh, dollar cost average into ETFs personally uh, for the long term for retirement. And then, you know, on, on a more professional level, you know, I'm the director of blockchain market research at Quantum Economics. So while we are crypto focused, uh, it's also a lot of focus on fintech. Uh, banking and macroeconomics, uh, which is really important to investors in all sectors right now, because there's a lot going on that are, uh, you know, things that are unique that, uh, you know, your typical, you know, uh, investing calendar and, and factors don't always factor in. So it's it's important to be aware of all these things. Uh, yeah, so that's what I do. And, and I also have my own publication, latestblock.com, where uh, we have a weekly uh, newsletter on, on fintech and crypto. So, um it's a little about me. I'm here, and uh, you know we've been we've been looking at markets for a bit. So uh, some very interesting things to cover. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely a lot of crazy things going on, to say the least. But let's bring it back a little bit. Do you think that there was something like in your past, or is there something that kind of clicked with you that made you be, uh, be like, okay, I need to start investing to grow my wealth, grow that nest egg, uh, to kind of help help your set, set yourself up for the long term. Or, uh, you know, is it just kind of like your curiosity that brought you into it in like 2016, 17 time? Great point. I mean, a few things. One, uh, you know, into my 30s, I realized that, you know, you know you're in your 20s. You're kind of like, you know, you're immortal. Uh, nothing could ever go wrong. You know, these boomers don't know what they're talking about. Who needs a retirement account? But but really looking closer, uh, just broke down some math. Always been into math. I broke down some numbers. Like, okay, I'm this many years old. We're going to work, you know, even if. You know, I'm going to work forever. Okay, but let's say even you do work to 70, 75. Who wants to work that long? 
And, and even if you do, um, you know, the life expectancy of people has gotten a lot longer, you know, 50 years ago, people would work till 62 and, and die by 67 or 68. Now they're retiring by 65 and, uh, you know, living into the eighties. And I mean, look at Buzz Aldrin. He's, he's 92 years old, 93 years old. I think he's auctioning off his astronaut gear, right. For a couple million bucks. That tells me he's been retired for 25 years. Uh, he picked the wrong portfolio and he's out of money. Even if you have 2 million bucks, a 25 year retirement year, you're out of luck. Right. And, um, you know, maybe had less than a couple million, right. Cause with inflation and so on. Uh, so, uh, a lot of things, you know, kind of clicked and I realized, wait a minute, uh, personally and with my family, um, you know, we had certain concerns and, and health concerns and things that, uh, you, you know, it, it's kind of lame to be talking about it in your twenties and thirties. And it, it sounds really dumb, but in reality, uh, it's just simple math. Um, you want to retire and you want to outlive your retirement. The worst thing you could possibly have is you're 85 years old, you're out of money. And, uh, you know, there's some support system in this country, but it, it's not the life that I think anyone wants to live. It's just, you know, uh, economize and live off of welfare and social security and, and live another 10 years. It's, it's, I don't think that's anyone's dream. You actually want to uh, have a lot uh, and, and bequeath it to your, your, your children or whoever you want to donate it to, right? Instead of just, you know, leave a legacy uh, that endures. So um, I kind of looked at it from that perspective definitely, you know, have, uh, have a stake in Bitcoin for that reason. Uh, but, but moving back, it's just some common sense, uh, that most people, uh, do not think with and do not use. So I also looked at it personally, but also professional, like I want to help a million people achieve financial freedom. And, you know, this country does have a lot of people that have saved money for retirement, you know, and people that have been successful. It's got 21 millionaires in the United States, more than any other country. It's not that hard to do, but it's about one out of 15 people. So at the same time, 14 out of the 15 are not there. And with inflation, even without, you know, the crazy inflation we've had at 9.1% annually, even back to 2 3% inflation over a 30-year period, you know, you, your money loses over half its value. So if you're just sticking that money in kind of a checking account or even bonds, which offer extremely low returns, which basically with taxes and inflation are zero returns, right? Um, your money loses over its value. So the purchasing power is lost. So you work for 30 years, you save it, you lost over half of what you saved already the moment you retire. And then if you, you know, you live another 25, 30 years, uh, you, it loses half its, you know, more than, more than half its value again. That's essentially how the, the, the current financial system, the fiat, based system is set up. So stocks that, you know, offer the opportunity to outpace that, to be able to outlive your wealth, even live comfortably in retirement while continuing to grow your wealth so you, you can transfer. But, but only if you have a smart strategy uh, and, and many people, you know, kind of exploring um, his book a little bit by Nick Murray, won't, won't touch on it too much, but simple wealth, inevitable wealth. He talks about you know, a number of mistakes people make 90% lose because of mindset. The S&P 500 may grow 10% per year, but investors in the American stock market underperform it because they uh, make these mistakes. So it's kind of important to look at this, especially in, in today's environment. There's so much going on that we've covered that, that makes it uh, harder to succeed. It's, it's still simple to succeed investing, but it's, it is harder. Just because something is simple doesn't make it easy. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned, uh, you know, you're reading a book and it seems like you're a lot of this is kind of uh, self-taught, self but, uh, you know, you have like interest in, in numbers and finance and that kind of stuff. So how do you go about, uh, you know, just finding some of this content, finding some books or other material that have kind of helped you along your investing journey and kind of, uh, you know, rung into your investing style? I'd say three things. One, I'm a numbers geek, so I'm obsessed with charts and analytics I, I'm a, I've done some Python computer programming. I didn't take that to a professional level, but some familiarity with data science. So I'm basically in love with numbers and charts. So if I could find something online, I go geek out on it, figure out what is this? What are they talking about? Uh, you know, I've got my trading view. You know, as I mentioned, I'm not really trading right now, but, you know, I'm still into trading view, uh, you know, for stocks and, and Bitcoin and stuff, but really more 
you know, the obsession to try to understand these numbers, right? These economics and, and the craziness of markets, uh, which has both the human aspect and, and the, the numbers aspect. So first, yeah. So, and, and my wife jokes, you know, she calls me Google Alex because, you know, I, I Google anything and Google is like really useful tool. And there's other tools out there. You just go down a rabbit hole, whether you're trying to study the you know, 50 day moving average or Bollinger Bands or, you know, the history of, of stock markets. Right. Or, um, you know, you can find stuff on Google uh, on, you know, you can find books. So so there's a self kind of urge to Google and look into numbers. Second was I go to other influencers that are on social media. Uh, I take everything with a grain of salt, but I like to ask them where they learn their stuff where, you know, so a lot, you know, ask, you know, what are your, what are your, what are the best books on investing? And I keep, you know, getting tips and, and I read it again with a grain of salt, look at my experience, my knowledge, what, what I know, what I don't know. Uh, what's this person saying? What's their experience? Right. Um, I think Nick Murray would be a, a Bitcoin investor today. You know, I don't know if he's still alive. If he is, he's very deeply into retirement. Right. But um wrote it in 2008 or the latest revision, but the principles make sense, right? So uh, a lot of investor mistakes are the same, you know, the, the line between investing and gambling or speculating, right? Uh, getting too influenced by hysteria in the market because things are so great, you know, up only as we call it, right? Or, or you know, uh, panic selling out of fear uh, or just making investment choices based on the latest uh, review on, you know, you know, I'm not going to name names or trash anyone because I, I appear in these publications. But, you know, some analyst says, blah, blah, is happening in some markets. So, OK, I'm going to go invest in that ETF. I've got to get into the latest thing. Uh, an investor who changes strategy every two months based on that uh, loses long term. Uh, an investor who sets the plan, follows it. You know, you can study, you can do analysis, you can pick things. But following, having and following a plan is the simplest and hardest thing to do. And, and Unless you're terrible at picking, uh, you know, you generally can't go wrong. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, a lot of things like that, too. I, I think a lot of people kind of learn similarly, right? They uh, kind of find other influencers and other things like that uh, to, you know, kind of base some of uh, how they approach it themselves. And I think uh, there's a lot of people putting out investing related content right now. So how are you kind of... Uh, you know, filtering through to find the best and like find people you kind of uh, trust on their opinion and, and uh, you know, think that they're not trying to sell you something or whatever, but they have like, you know, the best genuine interest to help you out at heart. It's a great point. Well, first of all, I assume, you know, uh, back to the verify, don't trust, uh, for, you know, which we, we talk about in crypto and, and generally most people don't do anyway. They just trust and gamble their money away. But, um, you know, I assume everyone's trying to sell me something. Uh, I, I look more at, um, you know, actions rather than words, uh, as well as uh, one of the things this book in part on me is it, you know, he suggests, Murray suggests getting a financial advisor, which I, I don't vibe with. I, I prefer uh, increasing the education. But his point is that really all your financial advisor is going to do, it's not that they're going to pick better stocks. They're going to hold your hand when the market crashes and tell you not to sell and that the market goes up 10% a year and, you're going to want to buy back after it goes up again. So you're going to just do better if you just hold and do nothing. And that, that 1% uh, cost per year uh, is going to be uh, less than the, what you're going to cost yourself by making stupid mistakes, panic selling at the bottom and, and uh, you know, FOMOing in at the top after, you know, Netflix has a 70% run in a year, you're going to just go all in and then it's going to drop, you know, 80% and you're going to sell everything to be safe. And then, you know, th those stupid mistakes cost you a lot more than 1% a year. So that's the point. I follow the same thing on a broader view. Uh, I like to look at, you know, you know, the actual data being provided, the analytics, uh, as opposed to more the specific stock pick strategy. Uh, I listen to uh, government persons. I listen to financial news. I listen to uh, Federal uh, Reserve board members like Powell when they speak, not because I listen to them for advice. They're pointing out that something's there. Everyone's got their own bias. Every media company, left, right, or otherwise, has a policy. So they're going to follow it. They're going to have a, a stated bias. It, it's impossible to have a media company and not have a stated bias. Otherwise, you're going to be all over the place. So whether conservative or liberal, <clears throat> I mainly look at it that there's a sign that something's there. It's an indicator. You can't make your decisions based off of one indicator. So uh, there's also so much information out there. 
uh, that it, it definitely is an overload. And there's a lot of free information out there, which is great, but again, it's an overload. Um, so filtering out, you know, I like to, to look at what an analyst is saying, what an influencer is saying, what is the counterpoint? And, uh, you know, I generally don't have that much time. So I, I kind of have my list of my 20 best uh, people. Uh, and, and when I get around to it and I'm doing research, I go and kind of Google what they're saying or go look at the latest video, um, really to, to get an idea of what's going on. And then I look at the numbers, look at various economic indicators. Um, lately, you know, some of those include them. They may be different in, in a normal kind of happy market where like we were in 2019, right? Uh, you know, unemployment was very low. Uh, inflation was kind of low nothing particularly disastrous happening. I wouldn't be paying that much attention to major economic indicators. Now, uh, things are very volatile. Uh, you look at things like, you know, inflation, the unemployment report, because those are the two things the Federal Reserve uses to gauge their um, economic policy, whether they're basically turning on the money printer or shutting it off. And right now they're shutting it off. They're raising rates. These things are bad for risk assets. So if you're, I'm not swing trading, it's a dangerous environment, but if you've been swing trading, you know, um, I, I did call, you know, it's hard to call these short term, but I did call, look, like in December, January, like this is going down, people. Uh, bull market's going to get exhausted at some point. The Fed is going to, you know, um, reverse course as they should for the economy, and they have, right? So markets crash. I didn't think they'd crash that much. I was, I was quite bullish, but you're swing trading, these things matter. Right now, also, the other thing is that, see, markets are unpredictable. They're a crazy horse short-term. Long-term, look over the next 10 years, it's easier to predict something because you kind of see the trend. Um, plus, you know, any 10-year any period of the S&P 500, uh, you, you're pretty much going to be up, right? Your odds of being up, this Murray guy did, did the math, crunched the numbers. Your odds of being up in a five-year period are something like 75% if you just hold Roger being up over 10 years is like 87% and over 15 years is about 98% since 1926. And the last 20 years were more bullish than for the S&P 500 than when he wrote the book. So, and that's with like excellent metrics. We've had excellent metrics on the stock market and the S&P 500 components since 1926. Uh, he, he, re he referred to another book, which went back to like 1816 or something, which had some metrics and it was basically the same numbers, even though, the metrics are a lot better since 1926, right? Since, you know, I, th I think uh, the various stock exchanges were tracking them uh, in, even in books, but they were tracking them daily and so on. So anyway, the point being for the long term, it's hard to go wrong if you're picking things that go up over time. S&P 500 goes up 10% with dividends on average. Going to have some bad years and it's going to go back up. Uh, Bitcoin more volatile, but again, with the macro, if you're into that thing, if you're into digital assets, you know, that, that does, it is a more dangerous investment and it's growing more exponentially. It has markets or series of bubbles and crashes. You look over a period of a hundred years, it's, it's very hard to notice, right? The 1929 crash was, was locked in as a painful memory in so many people's minds. But if you look back at it, honestly, if you're, if you're holding for like five years, you'd be up. If there, if there was no actual S&P 500 index ETF then, but the numbers were tracked. So, you, you know, let's say you you had the five biggest companies, you know, you, you would actually be OK after a number of years. So um, stocks generally as a whole, whole in the United States, you have that trend because it, it, it is the biggest economy. The trend is your friend. So no matter how much of a doomer we can be, no matter, you know, all the bad things and crashes and hysteria and the world is ending, the world was ending. Uh, about 50 times since 1929 and the stock market went down and then went back up. You know, it's one crisis after another, <clears throat> one war after the, another, they come and go. The trend is your friend till it's not anymore, but the trend has been your friend in the S&P 500 for, you know, 100 years basically. So um, it's really fr from a long-term investor, if you're looking at 30 years down the road retirement, uh, if you don't need the money in the next five years, just kind of the demarcating line, just dollar cost average in there. Pick your funds that you want to pick. You, you know, certain areas will outperform other areas. Right now, uh, you know, if you look probably, you know, uh, oil companies and McDonald's and Pfizer have outperformed, you know, um, big tech. Uh, big tech outperformed everyone else for the last 20, you know, 20 since really the dot-com bubble 2002, right? So these things cycle. 
so the overall strategy is let's focus on which thing to cycle, just have a general fund, you know, you can diversify and do a few other areas, but, um, you know, essentially bet on America, S and P 500. Um, and you know, um, that's kind of the general strategy. If you have a few other ETFs I put into in, in, in emerging markets, those are a lot more volatile, the smaller amounts. And currently in the current environment over the next six months, even a year and a half, you know, um, not swing trading, but I'm doing some DCA into, you know, more high dividend, um, you know, ETF. Uh, Dow Jones, I think in this kind of market generally outperforms the NASDAQ, which is more tech heavy, more risk uh, related. Uh, but yeah, in, in terms of that, I look at these guys and, and gals and I look at what data points they're talking about and look at that. Uh, and, and then I, I try to look at three or four different economic indicators or data points, you know, from the trading. If I'm doing swing trading, I look at, okay, you have like the different moving average, you know, uh, 10 day, 20 day, 50 day moving average on, you know, things that that's you know, it's looking back, right? Then you have federal policy initiatives like inflation going up means more bad, right? Inflation goes down and the jobs numbers go down generally means the Fed is going to start loosening because they have to keep employment, you know, high and they have to keep inflation low and jockey these two factors. So if it tends to bounce too far in one direction, you know, uh, on the swing trade, I see, you know, uh, looking at the trend possibly reversing. Otherwise, it's easier to hop onto a trend that's kind of rocking, keep going for a while till it runs out of steam and, and get out and, and close your swing trade. Uh, right now, I think we're at, at a crossroads again. I don't think that's quite happening yet. If you listen to the verbiage of the Fed, uh, and the very concerning verbiage, honestly, from the government, they're trying to make it seem like the economy is better than it, it is so that they can continue raising rates and be popular. Uh, you know, so... It is what it is. Uh, look at the numbers. Obviously, America as an economy is far stronger than Vietnam or Chile or Lebanon, right? Versus where America was in 19, uh, excuse me, 2019, uh, economy is still not recovered. Employment is still lower. Uh, inflation's out of control. Uh, and we're all paying the price for, uh, you know, the various uh, spending packages that were done to prevent disaster. Um, I think we're a bit overdone and, and taken on too long. Anyway, that's kind of what I look at. Um, and the, the moving averages is a good one. I'm, I'm not a, you know, sharp on the daily trading thing. So I just kind of look at it as a data point. I look at economic figures, jobs in one end, uh, inflation on the other. GDP is, of course, connected to jobs, which technically we're in a recession. We're down. Uh, the White House deemed it necessary to change the definition of a recession uh, for a popularity contest. Even if you look at the, you know, Wikipedia, it was changed 25 times over a 24-hour period and then locked. And so it's very concerning. Um, politicians generally, left or right, will do whatever it takes to make themselves look good. Uh, and and, and um, most of them, you know, there's, there's good people there too, but, but most of them will uh, attempt to, uh, you know, bend the graph so it looks good for them, right? Like, you know, the president of the United States said historic, you know, you had President Trump was always like, historic gains in the stock market, you know, uh, I'm the best. And then Biden's now like, you know, historic recovery. Uh, well, you know, there's been 15 months of, of negative real uh, wage growth. So th that's that's not a historic recovery unless you're looking at historically bad. Um, that being said, look, it's America. How can you not be optimistic in the long term? We, we, we've had the best economy. There's definitely concerns, definitely things we got to fix. But look, 100 years of growth. Uh, you're gambling on that. That's not a bad gamble. Uh, your odds are pretty good. 98% over 15 years that, you know, for, for the long term, your retirement you're gambling more by not investing. You hold your money in, you know, the fiat currency grows, stocks, people put their money in stocks, it outpaces it. Putting your money in bonds, uh, you, know, you, you know, that's just garbage. There's an inflation bond the government offers right now that will give you, you can do a max of $10,000 with an I bond, you get their crappy normal rate of 2% plus whatever inflation is. So you'd be getting 11% APY right now on it. Um, that's about the only bond I'd consider uh, looking into everything else is garbage. Murray calls it in his book, you know, be an owner, not a loner. Cause you're, you're, your risk. If they fail, you lose everything in stocks and bonds. Uh, and in bonds, if they rock it, you get your 2% per year and in stocks you rock it too. So if you're an owner, you have max potential gain. Uh, 
just as you have max risk as a loaner, you have max risk and a very capped low amount of gain. So you're actually sacrificing, you, you get, you get more security in the short term, less volatility, but long term over 30, 40 years, uh, you, you're putting more risk. You're more at risk of running out of money in retirement, like our friend Buzz Aldrin, the astronaut, right? Uh, you know, great guy here to our country, but he's an unfortunate situation. He's not alone. Um, there's various solutions to this. There's also like the life insurance uh, equity fund things that are tax-free, 401k Roth. Uh, it's important to learn about these things. If you're, if you're a millennial, uh, we got more debts and less assets than, than uh, the other generations, even if we're making more money. So uh, it's, it's time to wake up and smell the coffee and, uh, and check it out. Yeah, I agree 100%. You went into a lot there. So it's a lot of a lot of great stuff, though. But I want to ask you a, a question because you, you said a lot about metrics and like listening to the Fed and, uh, you know, things like that. And you brought up the point about changing the definition of the recession. Right. So you said that, you know, Wikipedia it got changed 25 times and it did lock. Uh, you know, I saw that as well. Um, but today, this morning, the Atlanta Fed released its initial GDP now estimate for Q3. So the initial uh, the initial definition of a recession was two quarters of negative G- GDP growth, which has occurred. And now the Atlanta Fed is predicting an initial estimate of 2.1% growth. Now, I don't remember the exact prediction to start for the Atlanta Fed, but I, I know it was around this, this percentage. I think it was around 1.9 when I first saw the, the initial prediction. And so obviously it went from 1.9 all the way to negative. Why do you think that they keep, you know, predicting this, uh, you know, high, relatively high growth of, of 2% and GDP in a quarter when it seems like, you know, everything else and, and everybody around is kind of realizing that we're in a recession and they're reporting these numbers that everybody's kind of snipping out the bullshit right now. Do you think like everybody's going to eventually lose trust in these kind of metrics, whether it's CPI or Atlanta Fed GP, GDP predictions, if they keep just, you know, well overshooting it? It's a great point. The first thing to keep in mind is these are indicators. These are data points. This even they say in their website, you know, this is basically an algorithm. Nobody sits here and figures out these numbers. Up it into an equation and it poops out the numbers. They even specifically say it does not capture the impact of COVID-19. I mean, you know, and and other other data points, right? So um, there's a few factors that, uh, you know, I I don't know the algorithm. I love I love that uh, metric because I like to look at it. It it attempts to give a predictive model, which, you know, since the caveman days, we've been trying to, like, predict the future, whether it's the stars or astrology or uh, technical uh, analysis. Uh, It's pretty much the same a desire to know what's going to happen in the future. So uh, I think I try to be a moderate about these things. I, th- I think things are never as bad as people say, and then they're never quite as good as the promoters hype it to be. So I, I like to look for the middle ground. I th- you know, I, I sure hope we, we uh, come out of it. I, I'm rooting for the best, but um, you know, the, the first thing is if, if, Whoever's in charge, if they start changing definitions, moving the goalposts, uh, that's always a sign that they consider that the goalposts aren't in a winning position right now, right? The Biden administration, um, w- without getting political, I mean, I mean, I think, you know, Trump was, was famous for uh, agitating quite a few people with his tweets and, and being overly boasting, right? Um, President Biden and his campaign pretty much... Uh, you know, as, as you do in political campaigns, you know, shed as negative light as possible on, on his, you know, um, predecessor. Uh, and now, you know, I, I think you, you take things too far, right? Like the president can only control certain things. He controls policy, execution of laws and so on. Um, depending on the, the mindset of a libertarian or whatnot, you could see them overstepping their bounds with the executive orders of the last three administrations, really. Uh, executive orders have been around since GW, George Washington, but um, Obama, Trump, and Biden have, have written quite a few of them. Um, so <clears throat> whatever you think, the fact is it's one person and administration, even the entire administration. You know, the economy is massive. We're talking about a giant ship. Uh, I don't want to say Titanic because that's, you know, that, that didn't end well. Like just a massive cruise ship, right? Y- you know, the tugboat moves it a little bit. You can move it in the right direction. Policy can affect things. Like, for example, Clearly, you know, 
economic policies of a presidential administration, usually you could tell five, 10 years later if they were good, you know. Some things Reagan, Clinton implemented were, were quite beneficial for the economy. Uh, the tax cut, I think, under Trump w- was an excellent uh, policy, right? Uh, it's shown growth. Um, you, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for this CHIPS Act. Uh, it is a $280 billion bill. So it's concerning, you know, with this much inflation, the government really spending more money. It's a concern. But the, whoever's controlling the tweets of the president is staying uh, – very out of touch, immensely boastful things like throughout, you know, uh, the last year, you know, historic growth. And again, you could tell they're crunching the numbers in their favor, right? Uh, showing that, you know, when, when COVID shut down the country, you know, the government shut down the country, uh, there was, you know, negative growth, right? So to be up from a negative growth in this country is, you know, inevitable, right? So the president taking full credit for uh, the greatest growth of any president in history uh, is pretty, um, well, it's, it's good while it lasts, right? So it's boastful. It's, it's out of touch and insulting, but from a totally detached view, it's just simply a gamble, right? Because, um, these things are longer term trends, 15 consecutive months of negative. I think I mentioned that already, but 15 consecutive months where, where the wages are outperformed by inflation. And then they're tweeting things like, you know, the economy is stronger than ever. Americans are, you know, in better position than ever. Uh, you know, gasoline's increased by three dollars. It drops by fifty cents, and then you you brag about it, right? After you say it's Putin's fault, um, it's COVID's fault, uh, not in that order. Uh, then the president cannot control gasoline. Then it goes down, and the president takes credit for it. The, the president can can take responsibility for his actions, right? And and can do executive orders. Um, so the fact that a president whether it's left, right, or other, they're going to try to make themselves look good. But uh, I think it's going a, a step too far to t- take credit for uh, boasting how incredible the economy is uh, when there's there's a lot of people, you know, now with Fed raising rates, a lot of companies from Tesla, obviously crypto companies, but 7-Eleven, uh, you know, these companies are laying off a lot of people, GameStop, uh, they're losing a lot of money, uh, consumer confidence, the lowest in history. Uh, that's from the University of Michigan. That's another data point I look at. Again, these in themselves, these indicators are not very important. Together, they paint a picture. And each investor needs to make their own decision. If you're a swing trader, make your own decision. If you're a long-term investor, none of it matters other than the fact that dollar cost average and, hey, if if asset prices go down, you're lucky because you can get them on sale. If you're putting in 500 a month, you know, you're getting more of your shares uh, while it's down. Consider yourself lucky and hope that... The- the, the economic recovery takes longer and the markets are pessimistic for another couple of years and you can you can get yourself some beautiful cheap assets right <clears throat> um, you know elections are coming up in November and essentially politicians are, are speaking like how politicians would speak Republicans are going to say it's all the Democrats fault because you know they're in charge of the Senate the House and the White House and, and Democrats are going to say hey um, you know everything's going great. And, you know, we'd get more done if the Republicans didn't stop us. And that, that rhetoric, again, points to a situation. The words spoken are extremely unimportant. If you're an investor, uh, do your best. You're going to be attached to some degree. America's passionate, very divided. But do your best to ignore what Republicans, Democrats say, but do a better job of looking at what they're talking about. Uh, changing the definition of, of terms is extremely concerning. The only reason you'd want to do that is you have an ulterior motive. Uh, there's no reason to to change it other than than to, to really manipulate things to, to look at it differently. Similar to how the, the current administration was pumping up the growth numbers in Q1, unprecedented, and now they're negative. So it's like, well, you know, hey, um, you know, it's a transition. It's not a recession. So it is a transition. It's a fact. But the fact that they're having to change the words indicates there's other garbage going on, you know, not to be conspiracy theorists, but, and, and it, it's not a conspiracy. Look at the other numbers, look at the Philadelphia manufacturing index, right? Look at inflation and then it breaks down by regional area. I mean, we're in Tampa Bay, inflation somewhere around 12%, not 9%. And, and then again, these are numbers that are, some, you know, there's other, uh, I think shadow stats or something.com is another site, you know, that there's, there's a growing number of people that say these numbers are bogus. The real numbers are higher. 
whether they're higher or not, they're extremely high, 40-year highs, and that's a bad thing. And that's a result of money printing. A few other things. Uh, I would even lay blame at the Biden administration on their oil and gas policy. But the biggest factor is the money printing. And you'd think as much as Biden likes to blame things on Trump uh, as his political opponent, just as Trump would probably, if he wins the next election, he'll blame everything on Biden, right? That he didn't blame the money. He, he could have said, hey, all this money printing was done by Trump, but he didn't. Why? Because governments want to use that as they're out, right? It's built into the existing system of developed Western governments, left, right, doesn't matter. We all wanted that check. We were happy when we got that $1,200 check. We all voted for it. We all pushed it. It's our fault as much as we blame the government, okay? That government official is going to want to give you a handout and be the hero, whether a Democrat or Republican. There's stimulus checks for parents with uh, families with kids in Florida, which prides itself as the, you know, fiscally conservative Republican government. California's doing the same thing. These governments are a lot more similar than they like to, to admit themselves that they are. So all I'm saying is it's not a, a voting issue. It's, it's If you're investing, look past what they're saying to what they're talking about and, and look at those things. Philadelphia Manufacturing Index, small piece of the puzzle. University of, Consumer, uh, University of Michigan Consumer Index, small piece of the puzzle. Jobs report, inflation report, uh, Bureau of Economic Analysis, uh, you know, GDP report, Atlanta now. Yeah, like they're predicting the numbers they have. These things are all estimates, you know, you know, they, they, and then every month they get collect more data and the estimate narrows in. So they're all just estimates, but markets look at these things. They try to predict the future. They try to price it in. Uh, and I think markets are na- good now that there's a, re- I think, I still think it's a relief rally. Relief rallies are common in bear markets. Uh, I'm not going to be convinced till, you know, you, you see things closer like the 20 day and 50 day moving average being up for SPX, S&P 500. Um, I'm happy, happy it's going up relief rally, but, but, and at the same time as a long-term investor, I want it to go lower so I can accumulate more, but you know, the fed has made very clear. They're not even, they're not trying to predict the future. They're willing to burn down the house, burn down the market, burn down the economy because inflation is such a problem. And they're right. And they also created it. And they, they should have known they were creating it. They acted like nobody knew. No one saw this coming. But all the self-taught economists griping on Twitter, uh, they knew. They saw it coming. Um, how can you print more money than any time in history? Like four years, the last four years, more money has been printed than the entire history of the United States. How can you not expect inflation to occur? You either are really uninformed or you're really malicious. So whether they are or not, here's the point. They're tightening. That's the environment we're in. There's a light at the end of the tunnel on the tightening, and that's when inflation comes down. Uh, and employment, you know, the, they're trying to continue. I think they're trying to, to keep that going on as long as they can because they equally, the Federal Reserve and the politicians are going to get equally as unpopular if infl- uh, unemployment skyrockets. So the numbers, I was a little cynical of the numbers. It was touted as the last. Um, Jobs report was touted in the monthly jobs report. Bureau of Labor Statistics was touted as, as really good. Uh, but it was basically the same people. If, if you divide the numbers up, the same people uh, were getting second jobs. There wasn't a growth. And the total number of the workforce actually went down. The people trying to find jobs went down. So it really wasn't as rosy uh, as I thought, saw. And, and now I think the, the layoffs are coming. Uh, even the big tech companies with tons of money are like, we're pausing hiring. You know, um, so I see more pain ahead and the more rates go up, the harder it's going to be on businesses. And until inflation comes down, um, you know, that's a problem. And then the final factor, which is the real doomer switch, uh, which I mentioned as a possibility, is the fact that energy independence is out of our control now. Whether that's that's partially COVID's fault, that's partially President Biden's executive orders targeting the oil and gas industry. That's partially, you know, corporate greed is a factor. I think they all combine for a perfect storm. Um, it's partially because the ESG uh, push. You, t- you take something that was good, environmental concerns, and you add political agenda into it. And it, you, ESG is turned into um, essentially um, a politically motivated push that the most financially solvent companies can write a check to, to um 
you know, save on taxes and essentially turn into a social media, a social, sorry, not social media, a, a social Ponzi scheme, right? I'm the good guy. I can write a check for $10 million instead of writing to the IRS. I can write it to whichever um, the latest thing is being considered, right? ExxonMobil is in the ESG index of the S&P 500. Tesla is not, right? Uh, so it, uh, Sri Lanka had a perfect ESG score. The S stands for sustainable. So it's obviously uh, misdefined. That, that word was never defined properly, right? Um, Sri Lanka economy collapsed. They had a perfect score. So it's worth questioning these things. I'm not saying everything's bad. All the government's evil. It's all conspiracy. It's worth questioning things and look. Look at the red flags. Those are an indicator too. Changing the definitions of words. That's a red flag. There's something behind that. Doesn't mean America's going down. Doesn't mean this, that, and the other thing. Uh, you know, um, it is what it is. It's another indicator. I agree 100%. And, you know, like there's all these different indicators. And what I think is interesting is that, you know, it seems like every downturn, everybody says this is not like the last recession or the last downturn because of X, Y, and Z. So now that we can kind of officially call this a recession by the, uh, you know, last definition, uh, how do you see that, that this is going out? Like, you know, how do you see it playing out? You kind of listed some of the reasons why you think it's uh, why you think it was caused, but do you think there's a way out or do you think this is going to be kind of like a, you know, a bloody uh, drawn out uh, situation? I see two likely uh, outcomes. Um, look in the end again, bullish on America, bullish on the S and P 500. Uh, these things um, bounce to the one extreme and then to the next the pendulum swing. The fed's going to pump up rates until, it gets so immensely unpopular, the unemployment's going up, the markets are trash, and then they're going to stop, leave it, or even lower rates. So <clears throat> market conditions change. Markets will still be here. Stock market's not going anywhere. Um, that's the most likely outcome. Um, I do, it does actually look like inflation is um, actually coming down. Gas prices are going down. I think it was grossly mishandled again. Um, I kind of didn't finish my point, but but stagflation happened in the 70s was kind of my point, which I think was much less likely. I don't think it's greater than 50% chance, but I think there's a significant enough chance that one needs to take it into account where you could have a longer period of time of high inflation and high unemployment where raising interest rates does not lower inflation has happened in the 70s. Now, there's a few factors that were similar in the 70s. 1971, Richard Nixon took um, the U.S. off the gold standard, temporary government program. Nothing's more permanent than a temporary government program, right? <clears throat> he had his own other issues going on. Um, he was a Republican. Then you go toward uh, Jimmy Carter, who's a Democrat, who, you know, similar to Biden, has a bit of an air of the similarity, uh, a very gentle, gentle man. Uh, foreign policy viewed as very weak. The Iran hostage crisis happened. You know, in the U.S., you had you had the Afghanistan withdrawal. You had uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Again, not directly involved, but there's there's parallel. Now, the the biggest factor, which was my biggest concern, which was oil. Where I talked about oil and the oil and gas industry, energy independence is so important. Um, where you have uh, Germany, um, you know, it is dependent on Russia for their oil and gas. They pushed the ESG route so hard where they basically made it illegal almost or to the point where, you know, certain pollutants, uh, you just can't get them in your own country. They weren't doing it in Germany, but they still needed it. They didn't build energy infrastructure to replace it. There was, there's nothing sustainable about their ESG push. It was just we're cutting off the production. Correct sequence, build a better, you know, use innovation, build a better, uh, you know, any system, whether you're Apple, it's your company or, or you know. You don't you don't move out of your home before you move into a new home, right? That's essentially what what you know U.S. policy under Biden and, and the Europe even worse has done, right? And Europe has been doing it for a longer time, where they we're going to move out of our house and we're going to get a better, cleaner, greener house. Well, now you're homeless, uh, so you're going to stay in Russia's apartment until you're done. No, now we don't like Russia. We want to ban them. 
want to embargo them. But when you embargo them, you're basically kicking yourself out of the apartment. You're back on the street. That's the metaphor I use. It's a bit rough of a metaphor. Just thought of now. But, you know, Germany shut down its, its nuclear capabilities. They shut down coal, which I hate coal. Uh, it's terrible for the environment. But the fact is, you know, and they, they kind of um, they put the pipeline, uh, you know. So one proposed uh, solution under the Trump administration was a Baltic pipeline. I bring that up because that would have uh, basically um, put them more dependent on other uh, countries, and not Russia. Now, it's tough subject. A lot of people get triggered on it. I care about the environment. A lot of people care about the environment more. They feel it's better to have economic suffering than, um, you know, polluting the planet. I think both are possible. Uh, I think um, you can do it in the correct sequence. You can build out better infrastructure. You can transition it. And then you wind down your current uh, energy source. The United States and no other country, almost no other country in the world has set up proper, um, you, you know, replacement renewable energy source. There are places that have places like Quebec and Canada uses hydropower for over 90% of the energy have for years built in the seventies. It's, it's fully set up, right? Um, you do not have a world that, that, you know, without getting too much politics of it, the sequence was done the other way. Um, more so in Europe than in the U S Europe is suffering uh, skyrocketing prices, uh, inflation of energy in the U S I think it, Run that 9.1 percent. You know, certain parts of energy was closer to 100 percent. So, um, you know, uh, and then you have the out of touch comments from the Biden administration that you, you know gas prices are down 50 cents after they were increased by three dollars. So, um, it's good they're down by 50 cents. Uh, screaming at gas station owners in another tweet to lower their prices uh, was not the solution, and, and it uh, you know it didn't look good. But you have these factors. Stagflation was where you had the U.S. was dependent on energy from a cartel, the OPEC, which uh, the U.S. got into military and, and, you know, political disputes with. And as their version of the punishment, they, you know, basically cut off the U.S. skyrocketing gasoline prices amidst, um, you know, causing inflation and the economy suffered. Right. So you can blame Carter. You can blame Nixon. Um, and again, you can blame who you want to blame. But. Energy independence is paramount because energy is a key part of the economy. Printing money and taking money out of the system is a huge part. But when you combine the two, making them out of control, you get what we have now. So it's not totally under the Fed's control, and that's a concern. So it does look like their actions should move and and will improve things. Um, Basically, President Biden went over and asked Saudis to, you know, pump up their oil, and they said they would, and that would lower the prices, right? Uh, having a war with Russia and Ukraine is something you can't really predict. Uh, they're both major oil producers, major producers of things like wheat. These markets are more connected than the average American thinks, like fertilizer is partly created with a byproduct of petroleum. Um, you know, you order uh, sunglasses from Amazon, it's driven in a, in a car, right? Even electric vehicle, uh, the U.S. natural gas is the largest source of electricity, I think 35%, and then it goes down from there. Some nuclear, uh, tiny bits of solar, wind, uh, petroleum, and coal, right? Um, it was coal 20, 30 years ago. Now it's, it's natural gas. So even the price of charging electric bill, it's going to go up. Uh, so your electric bill, right? My electric bill, Tico, Tampa Electric, has is, is gone way up. So these things are not just caused by money printing. So there's both factors. So uh, they're both out of control at the same time, creating that perfect storm. So that's where you see part of the, the mess we're in now. So on the way out, uh, the the soft landing is beyond happening. It's definitely not soft, but you hope that, uh, you know, interest rates go up, uh, markets continue to suffer, uh, but more importantly, inflation cools down. It's unfortunate because the the, the Keynes economist theory uh, is, is that, you know, inflation uh, is caused by too many, people employed. So they have more money, they buy things, prices go up uh, faster than production can go up. Uh, but we never reached that that, that uh, kind of uh, imaginary peak uh, employment. Got down to 3.5% in November 2019 before COVID under the former administration. Uh, it still hasn't gotten that. It's gotten down to 3.6%, almost recovered, 97% recovery. 
But hey, it's been 27 months since the government kind of shut everything down. So you'd think that that's kind of a bad sign that it's taken 27 months and we're not even recovered. That, that you know, you'd call it what you want. That's a fact. My opinion, not a historic recovery, not even a full recovery. Um, but that's my opinion. My opinion doesn't matter, just like any other influencer. So what it is, is that's a fact. Um, the other fact is that soft landing, Fed raises rates, more unemployment, prices crash, real estate market dumps, uh, gasoline prices go low on lesser demand. Um, and things, you know, through some pain of the next six months, things kind of, the Fed stops tightening, they leave it even and the, let the market work, let the production of Americans kind of f- figure it out. Enough people are going to work, build good products and services. The economy is going to grow again without too much interference. Um, the second scenario, which is less likely, but it's, I would throw out a number out of the blue, but greater than 25% chance that you get the stagflation repeat where energy prices stay high. Uh, Russia decides they're going to fiddle around with things enough these countries go off the dollar that causes enough unrest. You know, Saudi is considering taking uh, Russian rubles for oil now with, with you know, I think the, the backfiring of the economic war strategy uh, of the Biden administration and really of, of the Zelensky administration because uh, Biden first commented that, you know, he was waiting on, on approval from European countries before going ahead with, with embargoes and whatever word you want to use, you know, cutting off the Russians. So, these uh, have serious backfiring potential right now. Uh, they've heavily strengthened the dollar and emerging markets are getting smashed. The dollar is getting stronger as the Fed tightens. As things loosen up, we'll see where they go. But um, long term, the, the various risks that could cause that potential, the energy uh, output, uh, the various ESG uh, movement policies, which, by the way, back to that, they don't help the environment because you have Exxon. They'll just sell the oil refinery. Someone's going to buy the oil refinery. They're not going to close it down. That's why I called it a social Ponzi scheme. They're going to sell it to the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. They're going to sell it to Iran, the Iran nationalized oil. So uh, if oil prices continue to go up, that makes that Saudi company rich. That makes Iran rich, um, makes oil companies rich. The real conspiracy theory, these guys got another. My conspiracy theory is that the oil company is the one buying ESG because they've gotten so rich because they hold the oil. It's their asset that pumped its price. Anyway, that's not really what I'm saying is happening. I'm saying it's a possibility, but that's the effect of these policies. Oil companies have seen value skyrocket, oil and gas up, you know, multiples. So that's the situation we're in. So we could see a stagflation. We could see five years of high inflation, high unemployment. Uh, nothing works uh, as happened in, in the late seventies. And eventually, uh, you know, the economist, the, the Fed chair Volcker, basically burn the economy to the ground uh, with 20, 23% interest rates. Uh, so they'll make things suck. If you want to get a house, you, you have to pay like 30% interest rate on your mortgage. Um, that eventually burned down inflation and things reset, started over. Hopefully it doesn't get that severe. I'm positive that we're going to see a, a rough but soft landing, I guess, you know, a, a rocky landing, but successful. Uh, I think I expected interest rates to go up about 3%. If, if they, end at like 3%, 3.5% and end off there. I think we'll, we'll be fine. We'll make it out of it. If they crank things up to 5 6%, I see a lot more extended pain in markets and at least uh, until 2024 of, of sideways or negative uh, markets. And much worse than markets, you know, if, if they raise rates to 5 6% and inflation doesn't come down and oil continues going crazy, uh, that – will have other effects on foreign policy, on the economy, on unemployment, on, uh, you know, it'll be very bad, uh, which I hope doesn't happen. But I think, you know, the odds are up, up in the 10 to 20 percent, 25 percent range. That is route. I hope route number one happens. Some more pain for the next six months. We turn things around either way, whether it takes six months, five years or 10 years, still bullish on SPX long term. Yeah, I got you. And that, that all makes sense. And, you know, it, it is kind of doom and gloom, right? But I, I also think that, uh, y- you know, now is probably a better time to get invested than ever because things are getting cheaper, right, by the day. They're on a discount, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, 
to wrap it up, you've been very generous with your time, so I really appreciate it. But what is some advice for investors who are just kind of getting started right now and looking at this and, and hearing a lot of the doom and gloom that you're saying? Um, what's some advice to kind of get them to get started and, and get invested? Uh, there's two ways. There's a lazy way and really trying to hone it down. Um, as Murray covered in his book, and I believe 90% of, of the gain or loss is from your mindset. The other 10% is from your strategy. Uh, and which index to pick. So I'd focus on the 90%. If you're newer, uh, ignore all the noise. Things are on a discount. Um, before you invest, make sure you're not over leveraged. So what I mean by that, pay down high interest debt before investing. Um, having a 30-year mortgage with low rates is great. Uh, don't need to pay that down, but I wouldn't recommend taking out a second loan on your, your home or something or getting a loan to invest. Those would be big no-nos because... We could see more pain over the next six months. Uh, let's say we're wrong and, you know, the S&P 500 goes down another 30%. Could happen. Um, so d don't over leverage yourself. Dollar cost averaging. Uh, if you do want to look in certain funds, I mean, the most, um, you know, diversified index of the American economy is, of course, the S&P 500. You can get an ETF, low cost, put in a dollar cost average every month and, and start. The other thing is, though, don't be scared away from investing because you're at risk if you're not investing at all, especially with inflation. I mean, with two, 3% inflation, you're going to lose over half your savings in a 20, 30 year period at 9%. My God, you know, it's bad, right? We're talking seven years uh, or something. So invest, invest in assets that outperform. Stocks are great. Uh, S and P 500 in this market. If you want a specific kind of pick uh, generally, the Dow Jones index or, you know, kind of older companies that have proven income streams. They're, they, they're composed of a lot. There are some tech companies in there now, but they're like Apple and Microsoft, really profitable ones uh, as a lot of like drug companies, you know, uh, CVS, Walgreens types, uh, you know, kind of stores, uh, you know, Home Depot, um, Walmart, um, you know, proven brick and mortar things that when times are down, people are going to spend their money there and they're still going to, uh, you know, they'll, especially because they'll buy, you know, kind of things they need, uh, consumer items, food, uh, clothing that are cheaper. So the Dow Jones tends to outperform uh, the NASDAQ significantly in like a recession, a downturn. So if you're going to pick an index, um, you've got those companies and you got, you know, certain you could look at like high yield uh, index again, not a fan of bonds. Junk bonds are even risky, but you know, I would just put S and P 500 is great. Dow Jones is great. You can look at, you know, uh, high dividend yield, uh, what they call like the dividend aristocrats or the, the dogs of the Dow. You can Google those terms. Those are companies that generally, uh, pay a lot of dividends or actually increase their dividends. And just, you know, uh, if, if one of those companies fails, right, you, you still have the rest. So the Dow generally outperforms the NASDAQ in this time, um, you know, the Roku's, the Netflix's have been just hammered. Um, whereas, you know, every, every company has been hammered, but you know, uh, people are going to still go to McDonald's. Uh, they're still gonna, you know, go to, um, office Depot. You can look in real estate as well too, but there's probably going to be a dip there. Uh, I'm not a real estate investor, so I'm not the expert. Uh, I like the S and P 500. I like the Dow short term next six months to a year. Uh, if you want to, have something with a little less risk. I mean, you have the Dow, um, but that's basically it. Uh, bullish on America. Um, you know, uh, international markets are even riskier than ever. Emerging markets are getting hammered right now with, with the way the dollar is going. So those are risky plays. So safe bet S and P 500 Dow Jones might go down another 10%, but it's going to go up from there. Dollar cost average in, right? Don't over leverage, et cetera. Yeah, there you go. I think that, that you know, what you're kind of getting at too throughout this entire episode is the longer term uh, you look at things, the, the more likely you are to be successful as an investor. So if you have a long-term outlook, dollar cost average, you know, it's a very difficult to time the market and everything like that. So obviously not financial advice, but that's the way we're doing it. And so, Alex, you've been very generous with your time. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and what, what all you got going on? Thank you. And one last point. It's, it's so you can sleep better at night. This is for your retirement, for your future and your kids' future. Trading is something else. You can do trading. 
do swing trading, you do day trading. These are fine. These are very technical things. Uh, if you're a beginner, you're not, don't believe that you're a trader. You, you got lucky if you gambled, right? So if you want to be trained, be a trader. But if you want to be an investor for the long term, you'll just sleep better at night knowing your assets are growing. And even in tough times, just it's a discount, okay? So sleep well at night. That's the motto. Um, you can Google my name, Alexandre Loris. Go by Alexander, but that's the, the French spelling. Google that. You'll see me. I'm active on Twitter. Uh, thelatestblock.com is my website. Go ahead. You can go there, thelatestblock.com forward slash subscribe. Subscribe to the newsletter. And you'll see me across social media. But you get those two points. You'll get most of my stuff. Um, you know, uh, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, uh, Medium. You can just Google my name. Otherwise, I really appreciate your time and insights. And uh, look, it's a tough time. We're going to get through it, uh, you know. And um, and with investing, you know, it's it's a tougher time. If you've got the extra capital right now, it's a great buy. If you're if you're in a tough time, it may not be the time to invest. You got to have surplus income every month, and then it's a great time to invest. Otherwise, it's always a great time to invest. Dollar cost average. Pick the higher. Uh, you know, you want the higher odds. When, when it, you want to sleep well at night, you want to pick your strongest bet, the most odds of success. Don't care if somebody outperformed you 2% or 20% this year. Over the long term, you're going to win over 90% of the investors by just doing the lazy, the dumb way, dollar cost average in, go for the long term and set it, ignore it, and live your life. There we go. And on that note, that's it for us at the Sunday Scary Stock Talk podcast. Alex, thanks so much.